Welcome to our podcast on the wire. My name is Barbara Rickman, and I'm the CEO of Artemia Communications. Since 1995, Artemia has partnered with Fortune 100 companies, high-growth startups, and government agencies to develop and execute customized strategic communication solutions. We're always looking for new ways to help our clients connect and grow. Today's guest is Sandra James, the CEO and founder of Privatize Background Checks and 4506Transcripts.com. She is an industry leader and passionate entrepreneur with over two decades of experience in the background screening industry. Today, she will educate us on the benefits of accurate background checks, the increasing use of technology, and the latest trends in her field. For more information about Sandra's background, please visit artinia.com and look for our On The Wire episodes. Well, hi, Sandra. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. How are you today, Barbara? Great. Thank you so much for joining us and providing access to all the things that you know about the work that you do. I should say that um, as the head of Private Eyes, you obviously cover a lot of areas. We'll focus for today on the area of background checks. For lay people that are not necessarily familiar with your industry, may have heard about background checks, but what does it entail? And, you know, how do you even elect a good provider? You know, how can you tell good from bad, so to speak? So if we can start there and then work our way through what the components are typically that you provide, you know, the differences in service levels, and also some trends maybe in the industry. In our industry, we always talk about the digital, you know, developments and innovation, but I'm sure that applies to your area of expertise as well. So let's take it one at a time. Let's open with what does background checks entail? What should we think of? Okay, great. In today's economy, either people are already doing background checks and they have a problem with what they're doing, which is why they would come to us, or they ask me, why should we be doing background checks if we're not doing them? And the reason that people want to do background checks is because we're in a mobile society where people are moving around and you want to make sure that people have the credentials and that they are who they say they are. Because if we bring in the wrong person for, say, an accounting position, then it can be critical if somebody has their hands in the accounting and they are in a position where they're going to make bad decisions. And that's really relevant regardless of the size of company. You could be a small business or you could be a Fortune 500 company. So you really want to have the credentials on that person. Another opportunity um, is that you want to make sure why you want to verify who they say they are. Is obviously, if you're in healthcare, if someone says they're a doctor, you want to verify they have any licenses or credentials and degrees that they say they have, because oftentimes people will say that they have something and they don't. And so those are just a few of the reasons why people should do background checks and why it's very popular today for people to do background checks. From my vantage point, it really, as you said, it doesn't matter the size of the company, right? Uh, Maybe in a smaller company, it could present bigger problems, right? If somebody is not who they say they are or not qualified in the way that they should be. And certainly as a consumer potential patient, I would hate to think of going to a physician that is not actually a physician. And I think we all have read these stories in the media of somebody being not quite what they said they were. Right, exactly. Or, you know, one of the things that's really popular is that people will say they have a degree and they don't. And so some positions with some companies, you don't have to have a degree. But if you need a degree for that position, 
then you need to verify that the person has it. And the bigger concern is why did the person say they did if they don't, right? If someone will lie on their application or falsify their application is what we call it in our industry, then what will they do under pressure at work, right? They are more likely to make a bad decision at work. So that's the thing that you're looking for is people's integrity level and then also verifying they have the credentials and the experience that they say. Um, and you're right, with a small business or a mid-sized business, you know, you may not have all the redundancies in place that a Fortune 500 company would have. And so it can be more risky because smaller businesses can't afford to take a $30,000 hit. Not that a Fortune 500 company can, but they will be able to absorb something like that happening easier than a small business typically. That kind of a hit could cause a small business to go out of business. And so it's really critical. So we believe that whether you have one employee or you have 100,000 employees, you should verify who you're hiring and everyone should be doing background checks today. That sounds really reasonable. And I think you and I touched on it in our prep call that we can't always assume other entities are doing that for us. Maybe you can also speak to that assumption. Well, well, yeah, I think that what's really popular in today's market is using contract labor or staffing agencies. And it can be various things where you have a subcontractor, it could be a staffing agency. There's all kinds of relationships around employment today. And if you're the company that is going to use that candidate or that employee or that contractor, and they're going to be a direct reflection of your brand, then you want to make sure you're getting a complete background check. So I've had people tell me that they hired a company that was through staffing or another entity and that they were told the background check was done. But then when they had us check something under my private investigator license, then sometimes we found that the person had something in their past that would have disqualified them from the position they were hired for. And so it's really important when you're using a third party of any kind to bring you workforce today in our mobile work environment, that you just make sure that they're following whatever credentials or standards that you have for your company so that you can keep your company safe regardless of who you bring into it. If you have a standard for them and request them to do a certain level of background check, that you just check and make sure that they're doing that. that How do sense. you pick a background screening company? That's something people ask me all the time. And, you know, the thing that you should look for is the credentials that the company has, how long they've been doing it. If they have other customers that they've been doing it for for a long time, client retention is really important. From our perspective, it's going to speak to the quality of the company. In today's market, you can go into Google or Bing and you can Google background checks and you can pull up an instant verification of a background check. But typically, those types of companies that you're going to pay $19.95 for, $29.95 or something like that, it's an instant search and it's coming from a database. And the problem is we don't know what the data source is behind that background check. And oftentimes, if you do that at the bottom of it, it will say something like, we can't verify the validity of this information. Well, the problem with that is that if you make a hiring decision on the information and it's inaccurate information, then you are at risk of being in a lawsuit from that candidate. And the information, if it's not correct, it's just a problem down the road. So for example, I had a company in the Midwest tell me that they pulled a background check online on someone they hired in their accounting position. Accounting is, seems to be something people are talking to me about a lot right now. He said, you know, the background check I did online came back clear. And then she embezzled $30,000 from him. And he said, but then when I went to a company like yours, it came back that she had something previously on a record. Why didn't it show up online? 
And that's a great example of the online search has a disclaimer on it and it's doing a database and we don't know where that data is coming from. No third party can access the FBI database. So there's different sources you can use. So you want to pick a company that's going to provide a comprehensive search and do the best that the best amount of information and the best quality of information. So we have researchers all across the United States that can go into the courts and re-verify anything before we report it. So our searches typically aren't instant to our clients, for example, but you want to pick a company that is doing the research beyond just a database search. Not everything is available in California, even though we're the high-tech state of the whole United States, right? Silicon Valley, all of our courthouses in California are not connected together. So what are some questions you can ask when you're searching for a background screening company? You can ask them if they're ISO 27001 certified. That's a security certification that will speak to the integrity and the safety of the data of your candidates. GDPR certification is an international certification for sharing data outside of the country, and you need to have that today. NAPS accreditation is the National Association for Professional Background Screening, and it's a national accreditation that you have to go through a very extensive process to verify all of your processes internally and externally for producing the background checks. So that's a a standard accreditation. Having FCRA experts on your team, that means that they've also been certified through the NAPS organization. And are they a licensed private investigator? Do they have that credential as well? Those are the types of questions that you want to ask. And then beyond that, you're going to ask things about service level and processes. And those are really things that will help you for the hours they're open and things like that. Those are basic customer service things that you'll want to ask people to find out if they're the right fit for your company. But it's really important to pick someone that has retention and clients, that has accreditations, and that will help you to make sure that you're getting the right information and you're getting the best quality that you can. And again, in the media, whether it's uh, companies like Uber or Lyft or any other transportation mode really brings to light that maybe these background checks weren't done to the degree uh, maybe that they were supposed to. Um, I don't want to suggest that they weren't done at all, but somehow something was not caught. In the public eye, we hear about it when something goes wrong. Obviously, ideally, you try to avoid that. What do you see as the main issue? Is it hard for a company like yours to process a lot of employees, or is it really a matter of allocating the proper budgets or or make the decisions to allocate budgets to those type of checks? Right. I think that the biggest thing that we see is that some companies want to do a fast check that's something instant that's from a data source. And as I mentioned earlier, there's not one source other than the FBI database that has every conviction in it. So if you're doing what we call a multi-jurisdiction search, some companies call it a nationwide search, and it's a database search. It includes billions of records of convictions across the nation, but it doesn't include everything. And there again, California being a state where not all the courts are now connected, you need to check the counties that the person lived in. But if you're just doing an instant search, you're not going to find everything. If the person moved around and you didn't check all the counties they've lived in for seven years, some people check the current county they live in. Well, if they committed a crime five years ago and they lived in another state, you're not going to check that county if the client's only requesting one county. So it really is dependent on if the company is 
willing to do the most comprehensive search or if they're doing something that they just want to check the box. So a company that has really high turnover, sometimes depending on the industry it's in, sometimes they'll want to do something that's less expensive and they might choose to do a database search, but that might not bring back all of the information. It's probably not going to bring back all the information on that candidate. So it's really important to pick the right components for your industry to be checked in the background check. And so there's federal level searches that's high dollar embezzlement, drug trafficking. Then there's county level from felonies and misdemeanors. And then there's different sources. Some states in the United States have a very comprehensive statewide search. So when you're doing a statewide search for North Carolina or Colorado, is it inclusive of all of the counties in that state? So it's going to be very comprehensive. But it's important that whoever you choose to do your background checks knows these things and that they're providing you with information on what the best practice is. And then you have to, as the the buyer or the end user of the information, the employer, you have to make the best decision for your industry, what's going to be the best searches for you to do. So we make recommendations on the components, but it's up to the client and the end user, the employer, what they're going to check. And do you typically interface with HR teams or what, what sort of the environment that somebody like your firm would interface with? What should people think about? There's HR, CEOs, CFOs, and chief human resource officers, HR generalists, and recruiters. Those are the people that usually talk to my team every day. And it depends on how the, how big the company is and who's going to be the decision maker on our service, right? But who we talk to every day is whoever's handling HR, the recruiting and hiring for the company. And so my team is talking to those people every day. And that's who our salespeople talk to every day about how we can help them. Clients that we deal with, right, on the startup side, whether it's an app development company or medical device company, what have you. So let's say the early stage type of environments, I think most of them do not have an HR function maybe, or they have outsourced it in some form. How would they interface with you? Oh, absolutely. So for startups, it's really important. And it depends, right, on what kind of startup you are. Are you a startup company that is opening um, and you're going to have one employee? Or are you a startup company like Airbnb was when they first started, right? Or like Uber was when they first started and they had funding and they were going to hire a lot of people all at once. It really depends on the size of the company. And because that's going to make a difference whether they outsource HR or they have in-house HR. It doesn't matter to us. Even if you outsource HR, you still need to make sure that you're doing a background check. But you just need to communicate with who you hire for HR. You can communicate who you want them to use for the background checks. And you can set up what the criteria is that they check. And so what some of our clients do, if they're outsourcing HR, the HR company will see the results because they're hiring for that company, but someone at the company can oversee it as well. So we have different user level accesses that allow, say, the startup company, whoever's running that, can make sure that the HR company is following the protocols that they set as their guidelines. Does that make sense? Mm, that's really helpful to know. I, I have to ask, since we both represent women-owned companies, but also are part of a national network, of course, like WeBank, what's the breakdown between the male, female owners, or let's say C-level folks in your industry? Is it what I think it is? <laughs> Can you educate us? Oh, yeah. You know, you know, that's a great question, Barbara. And you know what? I only know of a handful of women 
um, CEOs or founders in my industry. I only know a handful of women. I've been I've had this company 20 years this year. And so for two decades, I only know a handful still today that are owners that are scaling their businesses. Two of them are still small businesses. And two of the other women that I know have landed some large contracts. And so there's a thousand companies that provide the service that we do in the United States. Now, with that being said, there's a couple that I call gorillas in our industry, right? They're the largest now, and they've mostly grown through acquisitions. I believe that myself and the other women that I know that are growing, we've all grown organically. So the ones that have gotten really big have grown through acquisitions, which I don't think is always the best for the end users. And it's been good for us because then when they have multiple systems to use and multiple programs and, Mm. you know, they're trying to merge the systems together, that's often painful for the client, the end user, which opens up an opportunity for us to help them. Right. Is it underreported? Is it underpromoted to be in your field of expertise? Or is it training? Is there an actual barrier to entry? Or is it more that we're just not accustomed to women going into those industries? You know what? I had a business before this one for 10 years, Barbara. So I started doing background checks in 1996. In 1996, hardly any companies were doing background checks. And then after 9-11 happened, it became a more popular industry. But I would say that in today's marketplace, a lot has changed in the last two decades. And now I tell people that we're a technology company that provides the service of background checks. And I just think that it takes a lot more financially to be able to enter the game, then, you know, it takes a lot more because of all of the cybersecurity issues and to be able to work with all various sizes of companies. So I would say that from a financial perspective and also from an expertise level is that I was in the information business before. I had, that's what my previous company was as well. And I started doing background checks as a division of that in 96, and I sold that company in 98, and I didn't have a non-compete for the background checks, just for the other part, because that was most of the revenue. And so that was 20 years ago. Today, it would take someone more time, typically, to ramp up, and it takes more of a financial backing today than it did 20 years ago. And I think that that's one of the issues. I think that when I look back at how many hours it's taken, which you probably know this too, Barbara, I don't, I don't think it's for everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah, not your nine to five, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, our office is open from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Friday. And we're thinking about expanding our hours to seven days a week. So it's not for everybody. That's true. Well, it's interesting because, you know, so much talk is about how it's gotten easier for women to enter just about any profession or industry. But in fact, with the increasing demand for technology and, and that very unique expertise, being a tech company, in fact, obviously new challenges and new hurdles come yeah. up, right? So it's not black and white. Exactly. And talking about the technology again as well, is that today, when I started this 20 years ago, I could get a contract back and people could start faxing me reports the same day. They could send them to me in a secure email, but they would typically fax 20 years ago, right? Today, people go onto our website and they send a link to the candidate and the candidate can log on on any mobile device and in 30 to 60 seconds, they filled in their information and submitted their background check. So there's all kinds of efficiencies. But what else we've done 
is we integrate with ATS systems. So an ATS system is an applicant tracking system that larger companies use to track their candidates. So now that means that when we're integrated with them, that the candidate goes on to their career button on their website and they fill in their personal information. And then when the recruiter wants to take the person to the next level and order the background check, they click a button and the information comes into our system. And when we're done and we hit complete, it goes to our website, but it also goes back into their system. So we're connected with all of these different systems, which is why I say we're a technology company. And so now if we want to onboard a larger customer that we need to update an integration or complete an integration, we have to do that before they start ordering at all. So it's more complicated today. And that's why I say sometimes that, you know, my team, that we're a technology company that does the service of background screening. What are some of the stories, just anecdotally, what kind of things do you run into that you consider either exciting or a challenge, even though you have all this experience? Are there some stories that stand out? Oh, yeah, sure. I think right now, one of the biggest things I'm hearing and talking to people about today is that the conversation about drug testing, because we also drug test for our customers. And I remember three years ago, I had a client in Nebraska that told me that they wanted us to not test a five panel drug test that includes cannabis or marijuana, THC. And they said, we want to just do a four panel. We don't want to test for that anymore. It's legal in Colorado, right? And so we could accommodate that request. But today, I think now that it's legal in a few more states, people are confused and under the misguided impression that if they have a medical marijuana card or if it's legal in that state, that it's okay if they test positive for marijuana. And here's what people need to know. Candidates need to know. Candidates need to know that it is still illegal federally. And the employer still has the right to choose if they're going to have a drug-free work environment. And if they are, and if you test positive for marijuana, they may not hire you for that position. For drinking, they're like, well, alcohol is legal. Well, typically, if you drink last night, unless you drink a lot, you come in the next day, if you're tested for alcohol, you're not typically going to still test positive for alcohol unless you drank a lot, you know, you still could be. But if you smoke marijuana the day before, you're still probably going to test positive for a few days. And so either way, if your employer has the policy that they have a drug-free work environment, regardless of the state they're in, it's still illegal federally, and they can still make a decision not to hire you. So candidates are under the misguided conception that if they test positive, they could still get that job. And if the company has a drug-free work environment, you won't. For employers, they need to know they still have the right to decide if they're going to drug test or not, and if they have a policy that they're okay if they make a decision not to hire someone based on a positive test result. And there again, it depends on what kind of industry it is. I've talked to some people that are in some industry and they're like, we like creative people. We don't care about that. So they probably aren't going to do any drug testing where there again, if you have someone maybe that is going to drive a DOT truck, a big semi to deliver goods across country, you're going to have a drug free work environment, right? And you're going to want them to not test positive for that type of position. It depends on the company, but I think there's something for employers to know and candidates to know on both sides for that. Right. 
I was having dinner with a group of people before the holidays. And one of the women that was with me is a top HR person. And she was telling me that she had somebody that came back from lunch and they cut their finger off. They were working in a warehouse and they were were working with machinery and they cut their finger off when they tested person had done something at lunch that they should have done. And so accidents can happen at work, which is why it's up to the employer to decide if they're going to have a policy or not, regardless if it's legal in our state or not. It's still federally illegal. And so it's up to the employer still. But if you have that policy, the employees and candidates have to follow it. You're right. I think everybody's trying to understand what the subtleties of this are, right? Federal versus state level, et cetera, et cetera. Are there any other issues like that that tend to show up in the work of your team that you're like, okay, this is helpful to other people to know? Yeah, I think another thing is that, you know, something that's more popular today, too, is becoming more popular is social media searches. That's another conversation because it's new. And so we have technology again that is an algorithm that will go out and check people's email addresses. So anything that it's attached to and we can find so that if a client is a company that can have people feel really for the company or against the company. And the company has us do that social media search so they can look and see if the person has any strong feelings one way or another, because all of us are trying to build our brand. And so we want to have people behind us that are for us and not anyone that's against us. So the social media search is really in-depth algorithm that will check everything out on social media and it will bring back a report that's really easy to read. And we're adding that into background checks today for some of our customers. And that's a new tool that I think is going to become more popular. Right. I have teenagers, right? I have young adult children now, I guess, or late teens. And I have told them for years, what you put out on social media, you should be really proud of for a long time when you're (laughs) posting anything because it is out there, right? Yeah, you may have to live with that. That's for sure. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, what we do today can have an impact on our future of what we want to have happen. So I always tell kids about making good decisions and stuff when I do career day at their school or anything like that. That's a good point. I would argue, you know, anybody who's either employed or is an employer, what we have in common is we individuals that may have family or are associated with families, whether it's being an uncle, auntie, cousin, nephew, whatever, right, level. We have an opportunity to help the younger ones or lead by example, ideally, right? Yes, exactly. My son is like, you know, you're the only one that calls me and texts me. We use Instagram and Snapchat. We don't use that old stuff anymore. And so, <laughs> and so that's okay that you're doing that, but make sure what you're putting out there is good information because once it's out there, it is out there. And so I think that's important for, for younger people to know that because they think that it disappears and that no one can access it. Mm-hmm. We have lots of examples of situations where that's not the case with hacking and everything else. It can be leveraged against you either on purpose or just by default because you're part of a larger group that got hacked into. Right, right, exactly. Yes. So you want to be careful. You know, I think that it's a good idea just not to ever put anything negative. (laughs) And so negative could mean different things to different people, right? So, you know, somebody could be thinking that they're having a great time out on a Friday night with a group of people and they might drink too much or do something silly and they're just having a good time. But if they put that out there on social media and they're applying for a job and have to be on call on a Friday night, then you might not get the job discretion has to be used with all types of communication, right? All forms of communication. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you're dealing with representatives of employers, their team members, HR and otherwise. What I'm pointing at is that you're the messenger. You gather data, the data gets transferred to the point of contact. And it is not the issue of the background check company as much as the individual that put the information out in the first place, right? Exactly, exactly. And the candidate, in the case of pre-employment and post-employment background checks, the candidate is signing an authorization form for the company to do the background check through private eyes. So our name is on it. They know we're doing it. And that information is there for them. And what we do with all convictions, when we were talking about data information before, any conviction that we find on a candidate, we re-verify the information. So we keep the resources on our team to be able to do that on everything before we send it to our clients so that we know that they're going to be able to make the right decision from the quality information they get from us. And because we do that, we don't have any disputes. We do thousands of background checks every week and we have no disputes. And what that means for us and our client is that neither one of us are at risk of lawsuit. And that's really what's important because when we mitigate that risk for our customers, we're saving them hundreds of thousands of dollars annually. Yeah, I think the companies are not doing it because they're trying to be difficult or or cause problems for the potential, I mean, for the candidates, potential employees, but really to to limit risk. Yes. For for all parties involved, right? Right. And it keeps everyone in a better situation. I mean, years ago, when I first started this company, I remember that a staffing client of mine had placed someone at a call center and the person from the staffing agency in the call center, they're working for the same company, but they had a dispute. And one of them came over the workstation to the other one. He bashed the other guy's head in. He went to the hospital. And now it's a problem for both companies. Back then, not everyone was doing background checks. But one of the people had an issue prior. So if you do a background check, those are the kinds of things that are going to cost a company a lot. Time, money, attorneys, all of that. So it's very important that you have a program today to prevent those kinds of things. So if the background check would have been done on the one person, then it would have saved the other person from being harmed, but it would have saved both companies from having a problem. And so I have a customer that's used us Now, this year will be 20 years. And I asked them a few years ago, what sets us apart? Because I know that they've always had to have two companies on their authorization form. And that was their company policy, but that they've given us 99.9% of their business for years, almost two decades now. And I asked them what the difference was between us and our competitors, because they told me that they they had tested us against all the large ones, medium-sized, all of our competitors. And they said when they started using us in 1999 or 2000, when they first started with us, that they had 121 cases of workers' comp, unemployment issues, workplace violence, and other issues that they had to investigate. And in 2016, they only had two issues. So they said, you've saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars by us using your consistent service over the last two decades. You know, that's a perspective that I hadn't seen. No one shared that with me before. And so that was really valuable information that I could bring back to my team to validate why we have all the processes that we do to follow the things that we do with the in-depth research we add. That's actually a great way to round this off because people will ask undoubtedly, do I really need it? What's the point? We're not big enough or we have all these other processes in place, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. the rationale is to not do it, not do it now, do it later, whatever. And you just laid out the perfect example. And that's the company, Barbara, that has 
just under 10,000 employees too. But on the other side of that too, I have another customer that's been my client for 20 years this year, and she owns a dog sitting business where she sits for really wealthy people. And so when she has too many homes and too many animals to take care of at one time, she brings in someone to help her and she does an extensive, comprehensive background check. So maybe she'll only order five a year from me, but she's done that for two decades, but she has an impeccable reputation with all of her clients that know that they can trust her or anyone she brings into their homes. Just think about the liability that you can incur by having a person that's not trustworthy. That's very easy to understand. And from our experience, you know, having dealt with some clients that used contractors because they needed staffing up, you know, augmentation for a certain period of time. And these people were sent to more remote locations and they didn't follow company policy. The amount of headache that comes from it, uh, you now have to discipline contractors. In this case, they had to let them go, but then also have to find new people to replace them. The turmoil that it creates for everybody involved is just painful and very costly, frankly. Right. I would attest to what you just said. You need to just think, what if something occurred, right? What would happen? Right. And and it's another type of insurance, I guess. We have a lot of insurance because we're dealing with people's data and their PII information. We deal with top banks across the U.S. and government entities and large companies plus small businesses. But it's like another type of insurance. And when you think about the cost to bring on a new employee and train them, and if they only stay for 90 days or if they cause a problem within that first period of time, it's so much better from our client's perspective, feedback they've given us on the success they've had with better retention, less workplace violence, better unemployment situations, less unemployment to pay because they're keeping people, they're retaining them, and then less workers' comp issues. So those are the things that can save all of us hundreds of thousands a year. And so that's really good information that our clients have shared with us. Well, yeah, unless you're in the field itself, unless you're in HR or an employer, maybe at some point, you know, you've been around for a while. It's not really talked about that much. Only when something bad happens, really, in crisis mode, drama, but not preventive or even strategic planning. And so hopefully today's conversation can be of help to all of those that are listening, you know, whether they're part of a larger organization or just starting out to build their team out in a startup mode, I'm really very pleased that you were able to bring it down to the level where we can all understand what's going on. Yeah, no problem. Because <laughs> it's really helpful. And as always, we'll make sure to list your information for those that would like to get in touch with you with an opportunity to do so. Let me thank you for today, for taking the time, for being really open to sharing your experience, but also some recommendations and yeah. and the why, right? Why should we care? Just uh, very much appreciated. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, for inviting me to do this with you. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your time and I value it. I love what I do and I feel like I have the best team in the industry. And so I'm very fortunate and I do appreciate you asking me to join you today. My pleasure. We'll catch each other again with the latest trends in, you know, who knows, six months or so. See what's happening in your industry. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of On The Wire. Please send your questions or comments to service at artemia.com. For more information about our podcasts, blogs, services, and news, please also visit our website at www.artemia.com. From the team at Artemia, thanks again for tuning in. This is Barbara Wickman signing off.